Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and welcome, my friends, to tonight's Relax, Let Go and Be With Charles Show. Tonight, I'm welcoming Autumn Starr. Autumn Starr is a therapist, a practitioner, an efficient, queer, polyamorous, genderqueer, Jewish, awesome human being whose life has become a mission to help and support others becoming all of who they are. Let's let the music play us in. Welcome, my friends, to tonight's show, and we are so happy to be back with you. We had an unscheduled week off this past week. I was ill in the beginning of the week, and then our co-host and MC for our very special birthday show that we were going to do on Friday, December 2nd, he and his family came down with COVID, and then over this past weekend, uh, I ended up with an ear and sinus infection, so it's been, a, it's been an ickiness time. <laughs> making this time uh, and dealing with sickness, but we've all dealt with it. And the special birthday show that we were going to do, we have rescheduled, letting everybody get better. We're going to be doing that on December 16th. So not this Friday, but a week from this Friday, we will be having a special call-in show where we're inviting friends and family and coworkers and, and some clients and spiritual family to call in and share some messages and some memories from over the so far still standing 58 years of being on this planet as Charles and and spreading love and light every moment I can you know and tonight my friends we have a very special guest we are just announcing a little housekeeping here we were Last on the Friday after Thanksgiving, we did a special friends and family connection, love, meditation that you could share with your friends and family, either all in the same room or take or participate in the meditation from around the world. 
Got a lot of emails about that. We appreciate it. A couple weeks ago on Wednesday, you first heard from the guests we're going to hear from tonight. Autumn Star and Adam joined for a very special understanding and loving our transgender, gender neutral, and gender queer humans. <clears throat> and I got some really good feedback from that show and some emails from some people from around the world that appreciate it. I, I think there is always more we can do and a deeper conversation we can have. Some of that we're going to have tonight with Autumn sharing their journey and becoming all of who they are. And I've talked to other friends in the trans and gender neutral and gender queer world that uh, were unable to participate for different reasons at that time, did some travels or different things, and they've, they've all really uh, shared their willingness to share their stories and their journeys as well. Uh, we also had a, uh, in our chat room, it took me a minute to figure it out, but it, we had a, someone who was in there kind of heckling and being mean to our guests. I, I was able to get rid of them and their comments, but I guess that's to be expected. And that's why we do shows like this, because there's so much misinformation and there's so much hate spewed out for anyone that's different in any way. And if you listen to the show, any of these shows, you know that we're about supporting and loving and encouraging every individual to become everything they can, everything that they can be, bring their talents, their inspirations, and their missions to life so that we all benefit. It's a win-win. My friend Helen used to say it's a selfish endeavor because we're going around bringing people to awareness, bringing people to freedom from their fears and judgments, and allowing and facilitating them becoming all of who they are. And we all win. We win. There's another, we all win by supporting and loving each other and understanding each other. And there's something you don't quite understand, something that maybe you've heard things about, but you, you don't have personal experience and you want to understand a little bit more. Reach out. Educate yourself. Reach out to shows like when we do special shows, but there's all over the place, reach out and go get some information. And when it comes to the LGBTQIA world, my friends, your local PFLAG is an amazing place to start because they're connected to all of the different organizations in your area. And they have some great information for being a good friend, a good ally, a good family member for someone who is different than you understand. And you know what? We're all a little bit different than we understand. We've all walked paths in our lives that are unique to our individual selves. And only by listening and learning and discovering other people's stories and other people's struggles and championships in their lives do we really begin to allow ourselves a new awareness and a new understanding to all those that are different, whether it's a religious difference, a spiritual difference, a gender difference, a sexuality difference, it's, we can educate ourselves and we can become good allies and good friends and good family members. And tonight's journey, my friends, ever since I, Autumn and I uh, met through a shared community group where Autumn was introducing themselves to everyone, I, I read about Autumn, I went and uh, looked at Autumn's website and and I said, wow, this is an individual that I'm really drawn to hear and discover more, to be able to share with clients and friends and family members for the talents that they offer in this world. 
and and they're growing in their practice and their presentation and their mission. And so I said, you know, the best way to do that is to sit down and have a conversation. So welcome to the show tonight, my friends, Autumn Starr. Are you there, Autumn? I am. Thank you for that lovely introduction, Charles. I'm so well, glad to be here with you. Yes, thank you. And, and you said you're not sick, but a little tired yourself tonight. So I, I'm. thank you for, like, I'm going to do it, you know, being with us. Yeah, definitely. The, you know, the the dark setting in, you know, like what feels like midway through the day. I know it's not quite, but it feels that way. Sometimes it really gets me, gets me pretty good. But good to be here and, you know, in all the darkness, good to continue to be connecting and feeling enlivened by community connections. So appreciate you creating those opportunities. Yes, and this is a time of year for many people that that's, you know, and I've had people talk to me over the years and and uh, maybe to do a show about the seasonal disorder because we all have a little bit of seasonal disorder. When it gets darker and colder and it kind of starts to cut us off from those kind of fun gatherings outside and being, you know, I'm a person that just loves to sit on my porch and have some coffee or some wine and chat with friends. And this time of year, it's like, nope, let the dogs out, let the dogs in, you know. Um, So let's talk a little bit. You're currently uh, living out here on the West Coast with us on the other side of the state of Washington, but you came Mm -hmm. from the other side of the country. Talk a little bit about uh autumn growing up and autumn kind of learning the things that are becoming who you are now yeah uh yeah well i grew up on the east coast for sure i was based in central new york on uh traditional seneca nation land in the finger lakes region and i grew up well in what we would call the boonies I was out in the woods on about 70 acres of land, hanging out. Um, definitely, you know, the kind of setup where we were kind of like, we were only like 10 minutes from the closest town, but there was, you know, one blinking light in that town and not a lot else. <laughs> right. um, and And my parents had intentionally moved out to live on land, they were part of the back to the land movement, wanting to get away from the city hustle bustle and try it a different way. Nice. Um, which, yeah, which, you know, all depends on really who you are as a kid in terms of growing up in that scenario. It really worked for me, which was great. <laughs> right. I loved being out and being able to run around on land and we had a lot of animals around and I feel like one of my greatest teachers and definitely one of my parents in my early life was the land themselves hanging out nice. with the trees and the plants and all the critters. Um, I feel like that informs a lot about how I show up and who I've become. It, it's actually it's been interesting. I would say that is something that's come more into my awareness in the last 10 years of my life of how much of an impact growing up and feeling connected in relationship with land um, has, yeah, has influenced me. Um, and when you say land, yeah. you, mean like, you mean like nature? Like, yeah, being outside, 
hanging out with the trees. I, so I, in my young years, really spent a lot of time, I would say, on our land as a young, young person. I was crawling outside and playing in the dirt and hanging out with the cats and the dogs and chickens and a little while we have a, had a horse, you know, just, we weren't, we weren't necessarily trying to be a farm, but my parents had a big garden and, you know, breathing really beautiful, fresh air because we were not near a city. <laughs> um, hanging out outside, a lot of outside time. I mean, you say trees, like it, it might be a little before your time, but have you ever uh, heard of uh, Out on a Limb, Shirley McLean? Mm, I have not. Okay, she was an actress, probably the name Shirley McLean, but she was an actress who came out, I want to yeah. say, in the 80s-ish, with a very spiritual about the land, about being connected with trees, you know, and she talked about being able to connect with tree energy, and of course, at the time, she took a little flack for it, but when I read that book, mm -hmm. I also grew up in the country and around trees, I, in my, where I live right now, we have four giant maples in the front, and a big cherry tree in the mm -hmm. back, and, and I really... When I read that book, I'm like, oh, wow, here's this famous actress person saying, I believe for years in the energy of trees and the energy, you know, I think as I've grown mm -hmm. spiritually and studied more, that's taken on different contexts. Like you said, you know, I realized I go back to my childhood and go, oh, now I understand why this is, you know, at the time it was <laughs> right? just kind of a flow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you were raised yeah. on or near traditional Seneca Nation land as well. Was, was that part of your experience? Were you, did you participate with some of the peoples there? Did your family? Um, I would say not a lot. I think my parents had some connection to Seneca people, but I didn't really. And in many ways, kind of am in practice in my life, I would say majority in the past 10 years about kind of like reconciling with with the way that we in this society in the United States don't do a lot of acknowledging or recognizing the way that the land that we exist on specifically, I mean, specifically if you're a white person, which I am, but also really if you're anyone who is not native to the land that we are on, that there's, there's a lot of problems. Right. I mean, the only reason we're here is because of genocide that happened. And so figuring out how do I reconcile with my relationship to the land that I grew up on, the land that I live in now, and specifically why I'm here. Right. Which is for me in relationship to colonization, for sure. Um, and for me, it feels like naming is is a start. Right. And we hear a lot. These days, there's a lot about like land acknowledgements and whatnot, which I think can be performative and also can hold power in relationship to just naming. I'm like, the fact that I didn't know as a kid that I was on the traditional and ancestral land of the Seneca people feels like a problem to me, right? So it's kind of been a learning as I've grown and grown into like, how do I actually want to exist in this world that has so many incredible and beautiful things and is also really painful in many ways. Um, yeah, how to how to show up and, and be present. Yes, and we can have those conversations, you know, that, that's part of the whole 
what I view love and light versus fear and hate movements that are so prevalent in our society on every level right now is that for some, it's like we can't have a conversation about it. We can't acknowledge it's, you know, or that, you know, what you just said that, you know, we know that if you're not Native American, you didn't come from this area and there's no getting away from how we got the land we got. And there's been attempts over the years to try to make up for that in small ways, but there's also been attempts living where we do out here in the Northwest. I was reading stories on how with one particular tribe out here, they were first given, you know, like 200,000 acres and here you go, because pretty much we thought, well, we're never going to use that. Then the gold rush happened. And then we're like, well, you know, turns out there's gold on the land we gave you. So we're going to take you down to like 45,000 and move you over here so we can get the gold, you know, and then it became, you know what, now we discovered that there's another resource. So we're going to take you down to 10,000, 5,000, 4,000. Oops. I think we might've taken all your land. You know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. not. And again, I didn't do it. You didn't do it. We can have a conversation about it. We can decide how we're going to live in that world and what we're going to do to bring respect and bring those peoples that we pushed to the very edges of the most unwanted areas and say, you know what? No. And I know there's been, I hear from friends of mine that are at a more conservative ilk that'll say, well, you know, we've given them, you know, now they have, you know, some of the tribes have a casino, some of the tribes have this or something. Okay, great. And that's helpful, I'm sure. And I know for sure, like here locally, when some of whether they finally recognized some of the tribes and gave them what they needed. Yes, that's been helpful. I've worked with, they've worked with our community very nicely. It's, it's, they have a very, uh, very much a, a love relationship between some of our community organizations and theirs. And it, they, yes, that's brought some goodness. It's still okay for us to have a conversation for us to say, what can we do to be better? And what can we do to be more inclusive? And what can we do to bring some form of, the other word, others hate to hear, some form of true restoration <laughs> to those people that we have systematically over time, systemically, I mean, over time, um, abused. You know the word, abused for our own purposes. And people say, well, now you're making our kids feel bad, or, or why do we have to revisit the past? Because, it's, because history and learning history is not about beating each other up. It's not about saying bad Autumn, bad Charles. It's about saying, well, some of our ancestors at some point, whether we were directly related to them or not, did some bad things. <laughs> and, and we have to acknowledge that, and we have, to, we have to bring some love and light into that situation and understanding history and, and knowing history happened, it's not about beating up children. It's about acknowledging, you know, I know many beautiful German friends who had nothing to do with what went on in that period of time. However, learning and seeing it keeps us hopefully from repeating that again. I, I fear around the world we're so, we stand on a razor's edge of going so many, so far backwards when it comes to nationalism versus we're all one people, you know, whether it yeah. comes to, you yeah. know, you know, I'm a white cisgendered male. And I know that, you know, I have a friend of mine, one of her favorite sweatshirts she wears as, you know, my favorite 
season is the fall of the patriarchy. <laughs> I mean, and, I, <laughs> and one time I was kind of looking at it, and she goes, does this offend you? I said, no, because the, the, there needs to be an us, not a one gender, one race, one way of being is, is, has all the answers above any of the others, because that's just not true. <laughs> right. Um, so for you, uh, and you also say Jewish, are you practicing Jewish? Mm, that's a great question. I would say I am not religious in any way, shape, or form. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm in practice of learning about my Jewish roots and Jewish culture. And I say that in a very loose way. I'm playing with it. I'm enjoying, I'm learning, <laughs> and I'm not actively practicing uh, Judaism or really Jewish traditions in a, a like consistent formal way, you might say. Um, I'll be celebrating Hanukkah this coming month. <laughs> And really kind of shape a lot of, I didn't really grow up um, doing a lot of traditions surrounding Judaism or being Jewish, but I did a little bit and that's kind of still where I'm at and I'm playing with it a little bit because um, it's fascinating. I was at a, a group once um, put on by the Jewish Voices for Peace and it was a book group and and about anti-Semitism and, and being, uh, building relationship across the Jewish and Palestine divide and all those pieces. And, right. and it was fascinating because I was talking at one point about, you know, how I didn't really feel like I should be there because I don't really, I didn't really grow up very Jewish. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of cultural connection or, you know, anything. And, and, the people in the group were like, you know, that's an incredibly Jewish experience, right? <laughs> 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 to have been, you know, to have been kind of assimilated into, in particular, dominant culture in the United States in as a survival tactic, right? My my yeah. grandparents on my mom's side, who was the Jewish side of the family, right? So much of what you do, my, my grandpa's last name was Starkman. No, my grandpa's... Uh, dad's last name presumably was Starkman when he uh, immigrated to the States and you know at Ellis Island they changed it to Star so it could be more American um, right. so that that process of as a Jewish person distancing yourself from your Jewish culture from your Jewish identity in order to exist here is so common and they were like welcome you made it you've arrived <laughs> you don't have to like right. be a certain amount of Jewish to to be Jewish and also feeling distant from your Jewish heritage is a very Jewish experience so I was like great I'm right where I need to be then <laughs> right I guess and it's so true you know America's this melting pot but the melting as a friend of mine used to say the melting is those that come to some degree, either by their own decision, and sometimes, like you said, for they think it's the right thing to do, and we need to make create a separation, and also because of the society put it around them, that if you want to fit in here or here or here, 
then whether you're Jewish or Muslim or uh, come from a more native tradition from around the world, you need to watch your step mm-hmm. if you want to succeed. That's a bad message. <laughs> that's not an inclusive. Yeah. That's not an inclusive. That's not a. That's the we want to melt away the parts we don't like and shape you into what we do like. That's not encouraging people to be all who they are. That's encouraging people yeah. that you must fit this mold. Yet in our own realities, even those that have you know uh, been here for periods of time, that we all not we're all unique. <laughs> so like, there is no mold. There's no more. There's, there's each individualism. So how would you describe yourself spiritually? You said you're not really religious. Yeah. Um, I would say I identify myself as like a spiritual atheist. Gotcha. So it's a fun one. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't feel connected to concepts around God or even gods really. Um, I can, I enjoy concepts around uh, many different gods, but don't actually feel a reality base for me in that. Um, And feel a lot of connection in my spirituality with, with land, with the earth, with trees, um, with feeling like there is some, something going on there with the fact that we're all interconnected, not just as a human species, but with all of the creatures and all the plants and all the things that we are fully integrated with and need in order to survive. Right. Yeah. Um, And yeah. And just kind of that as a foundation, I don't, I, yeah, I feel, feel very much connected to the like web of life feelings that come from many different religions or cultural traditions. Um, Yeah. Now for you, you also, and we talked a little bit about this in the last show, but we could go a little bit deeper at this show too. So then you grew up where you did, but then when you, when you went to university, when you started to get uh, more of your education, that, that brought you to a new understanding where, where did some of, what has become you and what has led you on your practice and your mission. Um, we talked about a little bit last time, like when did you first know that you were gender neutral or gender queer and that mm-hmm. maybe there was something a little more there to your way of seeing and experiencing life? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say, so I had a pretty non-traditional experience growing up. I grew up, like I said, on a lot of land, which, I mean, depending on who you are, might be common or not. Um, But I also grew up uh, in a family where there was kind of optional whether you wanted to go to school or be homeschooled or what I eventually ended up doing, which was being unschooled. Um, So I went to school up until about third grade at which point my sister had been homeschooling and decided to go to school and I swapped and decided I wanted to homeschool. Um, and, and the reason I bring that up is I think my experiences homeschooling and in particular kind of shifting into this world around unschooling, which is really um, existing in a way that relates to education as um, the 
the opportunity to explore and learn. It is less about a book-based, here's what you need to know by when, and more a philosophy that you learn things by exploring and, and trying new things and doing things that you're interested in or lean into. Um, and so I got to, at a really young age, be really um, exploratory and in who I was and what I liked. And that shaped me a lot. I, um, yeah, had some, had some very empowering experiences as, as a young person, which I think is unique in this country in particular, um, mostly because of the way that the education system doesn't support a lot of us in feeling empowered and able to be who we are or support us exploring who we are. Right. Or have an open Um, conversation. And like, like you said, your parents then were very supportive of you being all the parts of you. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of really good support from my parents in a, in a kind of like adventure, like explore. What do you like? What do you want to do? I, as a young person had the opportunity to do pottery, which I stayed with. I've done pottery. I still do pottery. I'm currently doing pottery. Um, I did, you know, got to play with horseback riding. I also spent a whole year going up to spend time with my aunt who lived in Rochester, New York, which is the home of the Susan B. Anthony house. It's where Susan B. Anthony grew up. So I spent a year learning all about the first wave of women's history because I was really interested in it. Right. So I just had this mm-hmm opportunity to kind of delve in in ways that a lot of people don't have that opportunity or pick what I wanted to do. Um, So that shaped a lot for me. Um, I went to some really awesome camps that were for homeschoolers and unschoolers where I met people who were all over the country and got to like build connections and, uh, you know, learn, learn about myself and who I was in relationship to other people in this kind of expansive way. Um, yeah. And, and because of that, I, and, and those experiences, I learned a lot about learning. I learned a lot about how I like to learn and what supported me in learning. And I, at a pretty young age, around 13 or 14, decided to go to community college because I knew being homeschooled, unschooled left me not having a lot of like records and I wanted to be able to have the option to go to college and knew through learning from other people that community college was probably going to be the easiest way for me to go to get in. (laughs) So I started taking classes online and did that um, and actually did some online courses and then went in person, which is what took me up to Rochester, which I talked about last, um, last episode I was on about being at the, Equal, Equal Grounds Coffee Shop, which was the place that I spent most of my time, was the LGBTQ coffee shop in Rochester. Um, and that, I was doing that at at 17 and, and graduated by 17 so I could have a two-year degree and decide what was next. Um, so I had, a, I had a, a pretty blessed experience in, in much of my young life. Um, and that was 
supportive of me getting to like play with what do I like and what do I want to do. Um, and I had some pretty incredible early experiences right around that 16, 17 time where I ended up doing um, some volunteering, which I talked about last time with the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, which got me really interested in kind of trainings or volunteering or finding ways to kind of grow and learn. And I found through, really through my mom helping me look for other opportunities after that was kind of done, I got connected with the Alternatives to Violence Project, which is a national and international organization that is oriented around communication skills nice. and supporting, yeah, supporting communities in having having tools and and ways practices of healthy communication. Um, and and I got involved with that, and and that really. I think was a turning point for me because that's a lot of what spurred my like, Oh, I really like it made me want to deconstruct my own understanding of how I communicated and what was working and what wasn't working. And like wanted to know more about like how people communicate and why we communicate the way we, the way, the different ways we communicate, which led me to, you know, feeling and trauma and, understanding ourselves in terms of the context we're in it just kind of ballooned and ballooned from there <laughs> um and yeah and i got connected through through that to other organizations and groups i was connected for a while to this group um called conscience studio which was primarily run by this woman nadine hoover who i still do work with um who was running trainings that kind of were built off of the alternative to violence project model um, and I ended up traveling with her. I went, I went to Indonesia with her. She does peace building work all over, um, the world internationally and, and had the opportunity to do some trainings with her and learn with her, which was really powerful as a young mm -hmm. person to kind of have that exposure. And she had a lot of training and education around trauma healing. So I learned a lot around trauma healing and yeah, it's just kind of that there's like a lot of foundational there, right? Of feeling pretty empowered as a young person of feeling like yeah. I wanted to take on my own learning and be able to explore and getting involved in the communication and trauma healing. And I was at that point into arts through pottery. So I was kind of playing with like art in relationship to healing. I was very involved for a minute. Um, I lived in Philadelphia at 18 and was really involved in some anti-fracking work, um, which, uh, yeah, is a, is a horrific piece of the world um, right. that we exist in and, and is, is about, if you don't know, it's about like drilling down to get, you know, the gases and, and ultimately is, was, uh, destroying water in the areas that they were drilling because it leaches yeah. toxins, right? Yeah. And yeah, so I got really involved with them. So I had some like activism, feel that energy of community movement and healing and action. And yeah, it was a pretty solid foundation for me that I kind of just kept going with in many different directions. <laughs> um, but that was a little bit of my beginning. <laughs> Hey, a long-winded answer, right? No, it's good. It, 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 and while you're experiencing 
some of the learning and some of the traveling, some of that is also when you were experiencing for yourself some of your sexuality, some of your gender identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 that started around 16. And really, I mean, it's interesting, right? I think my exploration around gender really started when I was nine years old and got laughed at for having hairy armpits, right? Like that was the beginning of me understanding gender was like, oh, what is going on? There's a world in which, you know, people are laughing at me for the body that I exist in as it is naturally. Right. I spent, I spent about five years kind of in that body image, especially feminized bodies and, cultural expectations around what they should look like and and I kind of in that toxic swirl for a minute um and I had kind of like the cultural influence and I also had some influence from my mom who was someone who didn't fall into kind of all those my mom was someone who like never shaved her legs and you know like things like that and so had a little bit of that influence also but kind of got stuck for a minute, which was also when I was like learning about feminism and, um, and the first wave of the feminist, you know, movement and kind of like actually really connecting to, um, femininity, I would say. Um, and then around 14, I actually got the opportunity to go to the Vermont witch camp, (laughs) which was a lovely gathering of, um, I believe mostly, well, pagans and Wiccans. Um, and, <laughs> and I was in this space where I got to witness a, a large group of mostly adults being incredibly embodied. And there was just this, like, I feel like I was there for, I think it was a week, and there was, like, this huge energy there that was all about positivity in your body, being free in your body in a way that was very grounded and connected with the earth. And I, in being there was like, oh, this is much more the way I want to exist in the world and and what I believe in, right, in terms of feeling like my body is is incredible my body's incredible yeah (laughs) and I don't actually want to exist in a way in which I feel like I have to shame shame my existence just for being in the body I'm in right or change who I am because somebody else is telling me I'm it's wrong right yeah um And so I kind of, at 14, did this whole, like, okay, well, I'm not shaving my legs anymore, and I stopped wearing a bra. I still, well, I went back to wearing bras at some point in time, but I'm no longer wearing bras because who needs them? Um, (laughs) And, you know, that's not true. Some people with really large breasts get a lot of support from, (laughs) a lot of back support from, (laughs) no no shaming anyone for wearing bras, right? Right. Um, But it's an individual choice as opposed to... It's an individual choice, yeah. Yeah. And I found freedom in my body, again, in a way that I hadn't experienced since I was a, a, well, younger than nine years old, right? And I think that was, you know, I didn't know at that point at 14 years old that I was genderqueer, 
I definitely didn't know that. But I think there was some way that I was kind of in process in my body. I'd been a kid who like never, I never wore dresses. I started wearing dresses as a young teenager because I really liked dancing and I really liked the way that skirts spinned. So, you know, (laughs) I was all over, I was, I was, uh, enjoyed being in relationship to clothing and my body in ways that felt like whatever I wanted them to feel like, right? Minus that five years between four, I mean, four, nine and 14, which really kind of, I, I got like bulldozed over, which so many of us do by the cultural expectations and the, and the shaming and the, you know, all of, all of that, that is expectations of who you should be or what you should look like based on an assigned gender, which you were given at birth based on the genitalia you have, right? Uh, and, and and the society's ideas of what that is. Yes. Because right. when you travel, right. I traveled around the world. I also had some, you know, I was born in the 60s, grew up in the 70s, and had a lot of people around me that were beginning to push all those boundaries, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, women that weren't shaving yeah. their legs or underarms or were shaving right. their heads. You know, I remember the first time going into right. the store with a friend of mine who had a shaved head and didn't shave any parts of their body and we went into somewhere and all these people were staring and she was like, I'm sorry, is this making you uncomfortable? I said, no, let's go to another store. Let's, people need to be educated, <laughs> you know? And then being in the Navy and traveling the world and seeing different people in different cultures and different societies. And, and one of my favorite uh, outings in the Navy was being in Columbia, South America, where I got the opportunity to go with some other people from other navies and go deep into the jungles of Colombia and live a week with some of the long, you know, they've been on that land forever, Native peoples, and see and interact. And I, I tell people to this day, they're the happiest people I've ever met. They sang songs all the time. You know, there's no electricity. There was no anything even for those times of modern and of course women weren't shaving their legs and their underarms and things like that because you're in the middle of freaking nowhere and that makes no sense and sometimes the hair is actually needed for your survival or for your warmth or for you know yeah uh and it's just like and i remember coming back from that and talking to some friends and thinking saying and saying to them wow as and not just americans as western world we've really we've made everybody, every nationality, every culture, every gender, men and women, this is what you have to be. These are the things you have to do. You better go buy all of this stuff. You know, and I also, some of the areas I grew up in, none of the girls uh, very rarely wore any makeup. They just didn't feel the need Mm -hmm. to, and it wasn't pushed. It wasn't, it was that your beauty is natural, you know, and, uh, and then later in life, I'd find people that, you know, uh, were using it since they were three years old, you know, to make themselves look, quote, unquote, okay. Uh, I watched something just recently about a gender-neutral person that that got so much teasing about their face that they started wearing makeup at a younger age, not because they wanted to, not because they were enjoying it, because they felt their face was so hideous they couldn't let anyone see it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you did that to that person. You know what I mean? I think you got a mole here or, you know, a, 
uh, ear tag there or something that makes you unique, that makes you unique. Yeah. You don't have to cover it up. Yeah. That makes you you. But but that's right. not what society tells us. Or you or mm-hmm. others. Yeah. Definitely not, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I had I that the what you described of your friend going into the place with the shaved head and everything else not shaved, I definitely I was I had that moment at sixteen I shaved my head and <laughs> that exact kind of thing. Um and I also a part of my kind of like exploring my way of embodying my understanding of my gender, which did come later on around like 16 is when I kind of, I started to think about and play with like, what, what did my, what, how did I actually relate to my gender and how did I understand my gender and how did I feel in my gender? Um, And and not exactly related to that, but happening simultaneously for me was the fact that I am a person who exists in the bod- in a body that most people perceive as female, although depending on the clothing I'm wearing, because I definitely had a period where I was wearing mostly clothing that we call men's clothing, which I think is hilarious that we like to gender our clothing. But <laughs> right. and, and I would get third all the time. You know, you just never know. Um but I am someone who exists in in a body that most people would assume is female by looking at it, except for the fact that I have facial hair that naturally grows on my body. And as a young person at 14, when I stopped shaving everything, I was still bleaching the mustache that I had growing in. And slowly around 16, 17, decided to stop doing that. Um, And that was huge. That was a really big part of my journey and feels like it's, it's fascinating because it doesn't really have anything to do with my gender identity. You know, I just want to exist in the body that I have and not feel like I have to alter it because other people tell me that's what makes sense to them. Um, But it did end up in some ways getting connected to my gender just because of the way people perceived me due to the fact that I had facial hair, which confused everybody. Um, Talk about, you know, walking into a store and getting stared at. I have existed in my life for, at this point, about half of my life, feeling like anywhere I go, I will be stared at. Um, Which was also fascinating when COVID hit because all of a sudden everybody had masks on and I was like, whoa, this is a very (laughs) different experience for me. (laughs) Something different happening now, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I have like the secret hiding behind this mask (laughs) that confuses everyone otherwise. Um, But I really, I had a both, both empowering and also really challenging experience in my, once I stopped bleaching my mustache and, and my beard and well, the beard kind of grew in as I got into my early twenties, but it's, it's been a fascinating part of my experience in existing in this society and, and when traveling in others, but, but specifically really being here because there's so much, you know, so much pressure around what our bodies should look like and, um, yeah, and did a lot of, I like was writing poetry about 
I have a I have a poem that I wrote somewhere in my early teens, I believe, that was all about respect and and the way that people stared at me all the time and how disrespectful the stares were, not because people are staring, but because of the way that people stare, right? Yeah. Um, and I remember having a conversation with a friend at one point in time about being stared at all the time, which they they like hadn't even registered. We'd been friends for a couple of years and they were like, wait, really? And I was like, yeah, just pay attention next time we go out. You'll notice. If you watch, you'll notice <laughs> that I will get stared at by most people when I go places. And then we went somewhere and they were like, whoa, I had no clue. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I'm aware of it all the time. Shut it out a lot, but I'm aware of it all the time. So, yeah, there was a lot of, like, I think I had a lot of early on in my life that both supported me and also pushed me in feeling like both I want to be exactly who I am, how I am. And also, I, like, don't want to give in, right? Like, there was the support from kind of feeling really empowered as a young person through the kind of education I got. There was support in kind of feeling really connected to nature and the land, which felt like this, this being that understood that we all come in a form that is perfect exactly as it is, right? And, like this learning from that, that like our imperfections are our perfections and all of that intertwined, right? That we're all just exactly where we need to be if we allow ourselves to be. Um, And support from my family and support as I kind of learned and explored about who I was. And also this like, you know, even as a, even as a person doing really alternative education, I got a lot of like, um, is that really what you should be doing? Maybe you should go back to school or like, you know, as I started, you know, pushing on the boundaries of like gender of like, uh, you know, you know, that's not really, that's not really okay. That's not really what we do, whatever it was. Right. And in particular with my, with my facial hair, there was a lot of like, if I was going to do that, I had to own it because otherwise it was awful. Right. So when there was like this pushing as well, and I think that has shaped a lot of how I show up in the world. And and I've had a lot of people who interact with me comment about how powerful it feels to hang out with someone who feels really authentic in how they show up, right? And I think yes. I think that's true. I think I show up really authentically, and I think the things that I just talked about are reasons why I was like, okay, I'm either going to choose to show up really authentically, which I have to actively choose because it's never going to feel easy. Right. Right. Or I'm going to choose to do something different because it feels safer. Right. And there are definitely ways that I move in the world in order to maintain a feeling of safety. Let's be real. Right. And there are things that I chose that like are not, don't support me in, in being being safe. I, I shape other things in order to do that, but I chose, I want to, I want to feel like I actually show up myself, right? I want to like be here. And I know both 
because I can feel it in my body, but also because I've watched it happen that when I show up authentically in who I am, it changes how other people show up. I think there is a a wanting and a seeking in everyone to feel like you get to be exactly who you are and you get to show up and you get to, you know, not feel like you have to hide, right? I feel like so often, especially, well, in probably most societies, there's many expectations. You got to do this. You got to be like this, right? There's so much pressure in so many ways and it, it makes us hide, right? It makes us say, okay, well, I guess... I know that this is true of me, but I'll just shut it away because that's what I have to do to survive, right? So many of us are just surviving, just trying to get by. And I yeah. feel I have been I have been blessed in ways that have supported me. I've been lucky, I've been privileged, I've been, you know, held in ways that have empowered me to push that edge and there, there have been times when I felt really unsafe and it's been scary. And most of the time, primarily based on choosing things that support me and feeling like I will be safe in the way that I show up, I've felt incredible, right? Yes, and I think by being our, our authentic selves with all of the parts of our life, uh, and it's one thing I've heard from people over the years as well as they'll say, you know, you're, you know, whether it's your daughter or client or your grandmother or, you know, someone that you're doing a workshop with, you are you. And, and it, there were times in the very beginning where it, it felt like, do I need to present in a certain way or should I, should I, if I'm going to do this type of workshop or this type of training, should I make it really secret? I don't offend people and then even people around me at the time were like absolutely not put out who you are the people that will seek you out will seek you out because you're authentic the people that don't understand and don't it's not anywhere near their experience yeah they'll go their own way but you wouldn't have been able to help them anyway they wouldn't have been receptive Mm -hmm. to what you had to offer Um, and and I think that's what I've seen happen in in my life even generationally is how it was for kids that I knew that were pushing some of the gender boundaries in high school. I went to a, one year, I went to a very small high school in South Carolina where there was an African-American uh, born male, but presenting female always, always came to school dressed makeup, wig, and and lived who she was. And I remember at one point going up to talk to her, and I know other kids would shy away. She'd come to line, the other kids would move out of the way, you know, um, mm. or they would purposely just continue to get in line in front of her and things like that. So one day I just went up and I said, I'm going to stand here with you. And she's like, don't do it. You don't need, you know, you don't need the the pushback you're going to get don't you should even be talking to me right now and I said no <laughs> that's not okay you know what I mean I you are being who you are and that should be absolutely okay and and that I I'm no I'm going to stand here with you I'm going to have lunch with you you know I want to know more about you and your life and 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 uh and yes there was some pushback I lost a few friends I had some other people say you know 
Little League, we were doing the, what kids would do at that time. So you're going to be wearing a dress tomorrow? No, that's not how, who I am, but I'm, but, but it's, it's, I, that I can, I can hang out and enjoy and learn from this person. Um, doesn't mean I have to emulate them any more than they have to emulate me. (laughs) (laughs) We can be friends. We can learn Mm -hmm. from each other. Um, So for you, that, that really became something that over time and over all the things that you were doing kind of moved you. Was there a time that you felt like you might be trans or did you always know that, no, it's not that, it's something different? Yeah, good question. Um, I would say I've always, well, so I would say two things to that. One is I would name and acknowledge that when I was growing up and, and learning about LGBTQ community, LGBTQ plus community, um, I would say that the way that trans was often understood was as people who were interested in transitioning or that didn't feel connected to their body in the way that they were born into. And I think that understanding of trans is different today. And so at this point in time, the term trans really offers an expansiveness around you might identify as trans and genderqueer or gender fluid. You might feel like you exist in exactly the body that you were meant to be in, but you don't identify with the, the norms that are associated with what it means to be in that body. Right. You might. Yeah. And that, right. And so there's, so, so I wouldn't necessarily say that I don't identify as trans and I wouldn't necessarily say I do identify as trans. Um, and the complexity is because for me, um, when, if I were to tell someone that I was trans at this point in time in the body that I existed, most people would assume that I'm on hormones or that I want to have surgery because of the way that my body already looks. And I don't want that assumption because that doesn't line up with who I am. That's not who you are, right? Right. And so it's actually more about other people's projections when I say trans of why I don't identify as trans. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. Yes, definitely. And (laughs) that's where I think, for me, what I saw happening in the work with, with PFLAG over the years, and we started doing panels in different places, and we began to have our first panelists who were gender career, gender neutral, that's part of what they explained. You know, like they would, because mm-hmm. often we would have a female to male or a male to female trans person on the panel as well. And they, you're right, they, their connection to their body is different. It's not, it's not right. It doesn't right. fit. It's not right. who they want to be. And it doesn't have, anything to do with is that there's a whole nother conversation about how bad it is to have all these gender roles that, that hurt everyone, including cisgendered people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As opposed to feeling truly uh, not connected to yourself 
physically and needing that to change mm-hmm. that that to me more describes and I should say more because again there's a spe- everything's a spectrum and I know many people on the spectrum who identify as trans who are never going to get surgery and never going to get hormones that's not a part of their path um, but they fully identify that way um, and then I right. think what I begin to see happening over the years is that the gender queer and the gender neutral allowed a new lane, not, not, not that it hadn't always existed, but allowed right. a new place for people to be that said, you know what, no, I don't have gender dysphoria. I don't feel disconnected or um, mm-hmm. needing to change my body. I, right. I just don't feel connected to needing to present myself in a way and you said it so perfectly either earlier in a way to fit what you think <laughs> what you being <laughs> it you know is the world you or the individual you out there might think and might want me to present this way or that way or to choose a particular box or label mm-hmm. that will make it easier for you uh i choose yeah. To live outside of those boxes and labels because by doing so i empower myself to be me and i empower everybody else to be them and and all these boxes we try to get in just like even even in the in the gay and lesbian world you know there are people that still to this day i'll talk to and and they'll you know i'll say they'll say well you're gay i said no i'm bi Oh, oh that's right um and then <laughs> even, some, even sometimes the way they say it, I will ask, I'll say, so what, what do you mean? But, you know, like, because people still have stereotypes of what a gay man should look like, what a lesbian should look like, what a, right. you know, uh, what an asexual should look like, what this should be. And, you know, and really that was another group for years, the asexuals. I had so many clients over the years that were asexual and they would get so much pressure from their family, their friends, the LGBT community, Oh, well, you're just this, or you're just that, or maybe you just need to, you know, just, you know, you you go to have a good time with someone and you'll change your mind. No, that's not that interest. (laughs) That's not who they are, you know? And, and so it's about, to me, what's, what's come to be is that even though it's in one friend of mine said, well, isn't it just creating a a different box by saying gender neutral or gender queer or polyamorous versus bisexual or these different things, you know? Uh, or uh, and it's like no, it's an expansion of our understanding. You know, it's it, it's oh. a, it's a breaking down of those boxes and saying that when it comes to gender, sexuality, sexual presentation, um, authentically being who you are, all of these things exist on a wide spectrum, and there is no picture that you can put up and say, this is a gay person. This is a straight person. This is a male. This is a female. This is a gender neutral person. This is a that. No, it's a wide spectrum. And so for you, part of that also became sexuality, realizing that you were sexually Mm -hmm. open. Mm -hmm. Um, And was that something that you knew from a young age or something that came through certain experiences? That was definitely not something I knew from a young age. And actually, before I go into that a little bit, I just want to... Oh, go ahead. 
also mm-hmm. also let you know in relationship to trans probably the second piece of that is that i have never felt like i needed to change my body in order to feel like i was myself and so in that regard it's interesting because i think at this point we've put ourselves in a little bit of a pickle because we use trans to identify if you want to choose to identify yourself that way as someone who is transitioning right and we also use trans as this umbrella term for really anyone who is on the gender spectrum who feels like they're trans right for whatever reason yeah Um, yeah and so in terms of that i would say that i've i've always felt like my body was the right body for me to be in at least during this time right (laughs) um yeah and then presenting as you as its authentic self defies traditional understanding yeah. gender, therefore gender neutral or gender queer. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yep. And and I would say even even in relationship outside of just how I present, I think also the way that I feel in my body doesn't feel like, oh, I'm a female. Right? Or, or, yeah. So even if I was to wear all the clothes that would indicate to someone that I'm right, female, right? I put on dresses or whatever, right? Whatever it is. I wear dresses a lot these days. I really like them. I never realized how nice it was to not have to put pants on. <laughs> right. But I no matter what I put on my body or how I express myself, that doesn't right change that I feel in myself that I am genderqueer. Yeah. Right. I could look more what we stereotypically call feminine than anyone out there, which I also think is interesting that that's how we understand femininity, but I could put on lots of makeup and do all the things and that still wouldn't make me female. Right. That's just a way of presenting. Yeah. But I definitely feel genderqueer and, and actually that probably showed up. It actually showed up after kind of exploring my sexuality, but, pretty closely and it was pretty quickly that I was like oh queer makes sense to me like that's the one in the LGBTQIA plus alphabet I was like that one I want that one and it's continued to feel that way since then gender queer or queer I use both of them sometimes because you know queer doesn't necessarily mean gender queer although it could it might also just right. be sexuality I like the ambiguity <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, like you said, it makes people ask more. Under, yeah. Have to have no. to utter yes, ask questions and yeah. get to know you. Yeah. 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 And that's actually really I identify as queer in relationship to my sexuality too. I do I feel like around sixteen is when I learned I didn't have an experience as a young person, as a really young person of understanding my sexuality really outside of anything other than what was kind of projected for me, if you will, like I was perceived as female. And so I was projected to be interested in people who were male or identified as male. Right. Um, And I was kind of like, sure, whatever. I don't, you know, I wasn't really, you know, I had like crushes as a really young person, but you know, kind of, 
I, like it's one of those questions where it's like, is that really because I'm having a crush on someone or is that just because that's how we have that shaped for us to believe what that is, where otherwise I might just be interested in hanging out with them because, you know, they're a human who I'm interested in hanging out with. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I started like dating boys at like 12 and did that up until teen. And during that time, didn't think I was a lesbian or queer and kind of had this, I remember having this thought process of like, I mean, it could be possible, but I've never really felt that. So I'm probably heterosexual, right? <laughs> I was like pretty open to the idea, but just like, was like, I don't know. And I, it's interesting. I think so much of that is influenced by what I was surrounded by. Right. I'm like, I am so curious about the science experiments of like putting me in back in my life as a young person, but surrounding me with like a lot of queer people. And if I would have realized my gender and my sexuality way sooner, right? right. <laughs> if I'd just been surrounded by different options, would I have noticed like, Oh, that one actually does feel more like me, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't until I was approached by a girl at 16 and um, given this cute little card that said something like, I think you're beautiful or something with a phone number on it, which I never would have called, but she came back and chatted with me. Um, right. <laughs> and, and we started hanging out and, and at, at a certain point it just kind of clicked and I was like, Oh, this is a little bit why I haven't really ever been really interested in boys. <laughs> like, this makes sense. Um, but still, even at that point, I didn't identify as a lesbian. And then, of course, I started exploring my gender. And so that threw that out the window anyway, because a lesbian right. generally is defined as someone who identifies as a woman being attracted and interested in sexually, emotionally, and physically as someone who's a woman, right? So right. that was out the window. Um, at, for a little while, what I did is I just said I'm most of the time sexually and emotionally and intimately attracted to women because that felt true at that point in time. Um, and so I used that language for a while. And then um, I feel like as I... I don't know. It kind of just slowly shifted. I'm not really sure how, but I started using queer because that just felt like it gave me the opportunity to be wherever I was. And it remains true that I'm primarily sexually and, and emotionally and intimately attracted to people who exist in bodies that were like, born assigned females at birth, whether or not they identify as female. <laughs> right. Um, that's not exclusively true. I'm like pretty pansexual in that way where I'm like, I'm really attracted to people as who they are. And if they are who they are, that generally is what I'm interested in. And I tend to really enjoy androgyny. I think that's probably my most consistent indicator of who I'm actually attracted to is people who kind of ride gender lines, which is not surprising because I think it's fun. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's your experience. So 
yeah. even if they're experiencing yeah. it differently, they're still on this this is this journey or this path that shares some commonality. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. And then also, both in your bio and in the works that you do, you make it clear that you are polyamorous and, and you like to work with other people that are also coming to their understandings in sexuality and in gender and in relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. Was polyamorous something you always knew, or is that something that kind of developed mm. with everything else? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say... So I know that from a really young age, I, and I don't really remember exactly when, but I never had this feeling of like, I never wanted to get married. I didn't really ever envision myself with a, with a partner long-term. Um, and, and I think a lot of that had to do with being queer and not seeing what I would have wanted represented. Right. right. I didn't mm-hmm. want to get married to a man. I didn't want to exist in heteronormativity and, you know, and I also don't really believe in the way that we do marriage, right? Like, I'm like, I think love is incredible. I want to support people in loving each other. And I think the institution that says that, like, once you love, like, once you decide this is who you're going to love for the rest of your life, that's it. And if you, and if it ends, it's a failure, right? Like, I think that's a lot of baloney. <laughs> yeah, and so many really... people talk about norm- heteronormative things. So many right. people struggle with that one, but go ahead. Yeah, we'll yeah. come back to that. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think there were many things as a young person that I didn't really necessarily register. I don't think, you know, I didn't register early on because I didn't even know I was queer that maybe the reason why I didn't want to like have a long-term partner was because I never saw any examples of what I wanted. But the other thing that plays into that, I think, is polyamory, which didn't show up for me in an understanding until I was, I was young 20s, and I think probably around 21, 22, and I met a former partner of mine um, who I was with for five years, and they were the one who really gave me language around polyamory and ethical non-monogamy. And I think really what happened is when I heard them describe the way that they did relationshiping and had multiple partners, I was like, Oh, that's, that makes so much sense to me. Like that's what I've been wanting. Right. (laughs) So I had this kind of aha moment of like, not like monogamy didn't make sense to me, but I didn't have the words to understand that until they gave me some words about how they did things and what was different about it. Um, so I would say, yes, I've always been ethically non-monogamous or polyamorous. And I would say, no, I did not realize that for a very long time. I mean, young for some, um, right, people don't right. realize that till they're, you know, I don't know, more than halfway through life, right? Um, But, and it clicked for, it really was something that, like, I think people's explorations with polyamory or open relationships or ethical non-monogamy is varied in so many ways. And there's so much cultural training around 
being monogamous and and really codependency and so many so many things that we intertwine with monogamy right um yeah but when i got the chance to learn about really at that point i think i think that partner i was with at least at that point identified as ethically non-monogamous and i went with that language for a while too and identified as ethically non-monogamous and recently actually came to feel like I don't really want to be identified as the non, you know, like I don't want to be non something. I want to be something. <laughs> so, so yeah, perfect. More yeah, owning polyamory thing, right? I was like, eh. so, um, but when I kind of learned with them, it really fit for me. So it didn't, I didn't feel really challenged in it. It felt really natural, um, which is definitely not, most people's experiences, I would say, in learning or playing with or trying ethical non-monogamy or polyamory because there's so much deconstructing of monogamy training usually. Um, but for me, it felt really natural. And yeah, and I was with that partner for five years. We're no longer together. But during that time, they had other partners and I had other partners, not a lot, kind of little bits. Um, but um but that was really kind of expansive for me to be in a relationship where we were also like learning and doing that together and more. And at this point in time, I have two partners who one who I've been with for a little over three years and one who I've been with for a little under three years. I live with one of them. Um, the other of my partners lives with her wife and yeah, we're continually learning and growing in relationship just like anyone is, no matter what kind of relationship you're in. And I continue to feel like polyamory makes so much sense for me. And like you said, it put it out there as as a thing that I want to support folks in, especially because it's not generally the best option to be supported in polyamory or ethical non-monogamy by someone who's monogamous, just because it's a lot of cultural ingrained training about what's okay and what's not okay. And when you break out of that, there's a lot of deconstructing that happens. And sometimes if someone's monogamous, it's hard for them to keep up with you. How I would put that. <laughs> Some people right. can, but a lot of people can't. Um, so well, I think yeah, another thing that people, I think another yeah. thing that people misunderstand is that because there are certainly, and I've, had clients and friends and, and uh, spiritual family that is presented where there are there are poly that are together, like they live together, mm -hmm. they have kids together, yeah. they do businesses together. Um, just like everything else that's on the spectrum, being polyamorous does not necessarily mean that you have multiple married partners. It sometimes right, right. means that you have multiple people that you're acknowledging as as a part of your world in a significant way, in a way that someone might mm -hmm. look at a partner or a friend that you really loved or, you know. And when I, and I, I think I shared this with you personally, and I, I maybe in the past have shared on the air, but when I first was coming out as bisexual and I went, I was like, Can I, you know, uh, and I talked about in the last show, you know, I had some things that happened in my childhood that made me think, well, maybe if those things didn't happen, I'd just be straight, you know, or, mm -hmm. and I realized that wasn't the case. And, 
but as I was coming out and kind of grappling with all that, and I was in the military, and I would had received some honors and some and some offers to do things, and then I came out and literally stated, uh, well, it happened. We were in Canada, and I had met my first boy. I say boy. We were both, uh, I think, 19 at the time, 18, 19. Uh, mm-hmm. Met this Canadian boy and and just really felt for him. We spent the whole week together. We he showed me all the things in, in where we were where we were and and he shared his home and we had meals. And um, one thing, just given my exposure to sexuality, etc., because of when I was younger, we never we never had sex, but we spent all our time together. And I know I loved him, and we did some kissing with this, and then when. I, we had a day when you could bring people onto the ship and we toured the ship together. And about halfway through the tour, I grabbed his hand. He was like, what are you doing? Are you sure this is okay? Are you going to be safe? I said, yeah, I think I'm going to be safe. And then we came to the end where then we were going to let them go down. And there were other people that had, you know, had girls that they had friendships with or whatever. And, and they were all kissing and hugging and saying goodbye. So I gave him a kiss. And I gave him a kiss, and, and he grabbed my arms. He's like, I don't think you should go back on the ship. I said, I'm, I, I feel like I'm going to be okay. And I went back on the ship, and I, as I, when you go on the ship, you'll say, you know, like, uh, you know, Petty Officer Swartz, blah, blah, blah. At that time, my last name was Morris. You're reporting to that. And I raised my hand, and I said, Petty Officer Morris, homosexual, reporting for duty. And the officer on the deck, who was my officer, wouldn't salute me just kind of looked away. The other person looked away. Within a mm. half hour, I was called into the XO's office, like, what are you doing, Mouse? Because that was yeah. like, you know, and they thought, it was so interesting, they, people I worked with, they thought it was doing on purpose to champion homosexuals. They're like, you like champion the underdog. You're, you're not gay. You're doing this because you want to, <laughs> you want to wow. help out the gay people. You're making a statement. And I said, wow. no, I'm, I, I'm stating that I'm at least bisexual. I, you know, but, uh, no, I'm not just mm-hmm. making a statement. And, but what happened in that whole period is a friend of mine, cause then the Navy was like, well, you're out. <laughs> Even for saying it, you kissed the boy on the ship, you're, you're gone. And this gentleman who we worked for the department of defense, he was an attorney for the department of defense secretly was helping people who were being kicked out for being LGBT, uh, at that time and helping them so that you still got an honorable discharge and, you know, in my wow. case, because I hadn't had any sort of sexual relations, I even had to take three three different polygraphs to say that I had not at that point, you know, engaged in, in in activity because that would have made a difference. Uh-huh. But then I got I got to know him, and he was living in a protect in a per, uh, perpetual poly that had started back mm-hmm. in the early 1900s, and it was Christopher. Uh, who was the person helping. He was the attorney. And then there was an older gentleman, and then there was a, a younger gentleman, David. There was a, literally about 20 years difference in between each of them. And if someone, there were times that people came and went from the poly, but as a, you know, often they stayed together for long periods. There were as many as, as five and as few as three. They always kept it, tried to always keep it at three. And the education, wow. the businesses, the money that was that was as as, uh, as the older gentleman pointed out to me at the time 
that's the only way being gay or lesbian that you could you had to form these kind of polys that you turned into like business arrangements as a legal mm-hmm. entity so mm-hmm. that then then this this wealth these businesses the opportunity to be fully educated got passed and i was just fascinated i was like you're blowing yeah. my mind right now not just that there's three mm-hmm. of you but that there's been this has been existed for at that time almost 70 years right you know and, but it made sense to me i'm like oh you figured out a way around the system you figured out a way mm-hmm. to create stability and education and love and um as i know you and i know because we've studied it uh and i tell people often i was watching kind of a right-wing documentary because i like to be educated the other night where they were saying you know marriage has served us well for six thousand years and you hear that a lot from the conservative wing of things because they're right. Up until really about 10,000 years ago as a push, it didn't exist. Marriage didn't happen. Right. Communities were, most of the communities were polyamorous. And there was a, a community raise, not just the children, support and raise and, and, and bring talents and inspiration from each other mm-hmm. as a group. And we do this together, and and it was only when quote unquote this design of gender identity and civilization and let's make things be a certain way that some of these concepts mm-hmm. even came into existence. <laughs> they did not exist for hundreds of thousands of years, and somehow people got along just great. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And it it doesn't mean, and you've spoken to that too. It doesn't mean that. And I've talked to people over the years, too, that, you know, I've worked with clients that were polyamorous. And, and I used to have a, a one particular client who, when they were meeting people or exploring someone joining, they would come to sessions together and they'd talk about it. You know, and like you said, people coming mm-hmm. from a more uh, monogamy, normal, normative place had some some things to shed in order to really feel comfortable um, mm-hmm. in that yeah. setting. Uh, and, and it was, and I, you know, it, and it, it, it has existed. And that's the other thing people say, you know, well, for, but it didn't exist until this word came where people start saying, <laughs> no, having been both a practitioner and a therapist and a community member, I can tell you, my friends, <laughs> it has existed in some forms for many, many years, including in a very small community that I lived in had a building that I never knew what it was. And certain nights on Friday and Saturdays and the night during the week there'd be all these cars there. And finally one day I asked my mom, I was like, what? That, that building's not marked. There's not a restaurant. Like, we've never gone there. We went to all the restaurants and, you know, like, what goes on there? It was a place where people could get together and, and experience sexuality in a more fluid way. And yet mm-hmm. we were in the Bible Belt. And I was like, but all right. those cars, all those cars. <laughs> That's like, we live in a little town. A lot of these right. people are going and experiencing something different. And and uh, the thing is, yes. It, it, and like you, I like the way you said communication is what's most important. Communication. Mm-hmm. It's okay to live your life exactly as you want to live it. And And there's... And if you're living it authentically and loving it and doing it, that's okay. 
you can be monogamous while somebody over here is polyamorous. It just because it, it can it might fit for you perfectly. Um, I have noticed over time, even my own mindset changing. Whereas I used to be, I remember many years ago, first coming out in the community as in my 20s, and I was very much, I had a friend of mine that wanted to date me, and he said right off, I'm polyamorous. And I said, oh, we would never get along. I could never do, I don't even understand what you're talking, you are, wow, <laughs> I am here, you are there, my friend, you know what I mean? But at right. the same time, I was like, but help me understand, you know, because he had a long-time partner right. and different things. We've remained friends all these years, and now he'll joke me, because he'll... He knows that I've evolved in my understanding, and he, and uh, he's like, now if I if you had been more educated and more experienced at that point, who knows, right? And I was like, well, you're you're not <laughs> wrong. You're not wrong. I was coming from a, <laughs> right. I was coming from a blinder point of view, thinking that you know that meant all these other things. That's the other thing. Don't you know? There's no assumptions. The way someone lives polyamorous and the way somebody else lives polyamorous the perpetual poly all these different right. things they're it's a spectrum it's a big yeah. spectrum it's about communicating with those that are around you um so for you when and it sounds like you've already talked about it, really early it became like you were you were studying and learning and experiencing at 16 17 18 at the same time you were flipping to the other side and beginning to present and share and be there for and hear others stories when when would you say that that for you you start to look at it and say wow i'm going to become a, a therapist a practitioner an efficient i'm going to do mm, what, yeah. what is that calling or mission like ah that's a great question too you have good questions i've said that multiple times tonight already i know it <laughs> um let's see i well in all honesty, when I was younger, I was like, I'd make a good therapist. I don't think I want to be a therapist. <laughs> and and really, at this point in my life, my goal is not ultimately to be a therapist. It feels like part of a journey I'm on. Um, but I would say, well, when I was young, I did a lot of work with kids. I did as a kid myself at 12 years old. I, well, at 10 years old, I started babysitting and was running a camp for kids at 12 and was nannying and did a lot of work with youth, which I loved, still love. I think, I think young people offer us so many opportunities to see beyond our own glasses that we put on (laughs) Um, and and be expansive in the world. Um, And then around, again, kind of pretty young, like as a, maybe 20 year old, 1920, I started working at one of the camps that I've been, that I was at as an, as a unschooler, it was called not back to school camp. It still exists. Um, and I started being a counselor at that camp. So it was like a week long camp kind of thing. And it got me excited about working with teens, which of course I wasn't that much older then. Um, but I got into that. I started doing youth, youth programming kind of stuff. Um, for month-long programs or week-long programs, that kind of thing, um, and did that a little bit while also during that time was running workshops with the organization I talked about, Conscience Studio, that were a weekend kind of here or there around communication skills or trauma healing or um, group group dynamics and discernment. Um, 
so I kind of had these different pieces going on. Of course, while I was also like still in school, I went, I went to Goddard College from 18 to 21. I kind of took some time off in there and was studying as well while also kind of doing these other projects here and there. Um, and, and then I <laughs> did a total shift and I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to be doing, but I knew I wanted some more, um, flexibility in my schedule and which is interesting because I had a lot of flexibility, but I didn't have consistency in work. And so I wanted some consistency, but still maintain the flexibility. And right. uh, I was talking to my mom about it because I really, I liked working with you still. I was interested in working with families. I'd done this work with teenagers and whatnot. And, and my mom for a while during her life, who she's done a lot of different things, um, was a doula for families, which is someone who supports um, folks during birth as a yeah, more of a yeah. emotional and, and uh, I don't know, sometimes spiritual support person. And she was talking with me about that and she brought up the idea. I wasn't really interested in being a doula, but she brought up the idea of a postpartum doula, which is someone who supports folks after the birth, um, often during the fourth trimester. So like the three months after birth often, and sometimes a little more. And I got really interested in that. So it was a way for me to kind of like do a little bit of training, but not to like go to school for something. And I didn't really want to be at a nine to find it's kind of job. And so I, did that. I got trained. I did my kind of uh, uh, practicum where I was working with families, but doing it for free because I was still learning and, and, and got really, really interested in it and excited about it. And I didn't actually start practicing until I moved to the West coast. So I was kind of in transition. Um, But I moved out to the West coast and started nannying to get on my feet and started up a, a private, uh, not a private practice, a, a solo practice as a postpartum doula and did that for a chunk of time. <laughs> and wow. I got a little, a little bored with it because I was really interested in the piece around supporting folks in understanding and learning about their newborns. And what I ended up doing was a lot of uh, night work overnights taking care of folks' babies, which was great and wasn't exactly what I wanted. So I shifted from there and went back to youth work and worked at a youth center supporting queer youth, which was great for a hot minute, but the organization itself was struggling a lot. And I was the fifth person to leave in the course of seven months. Oh, wow. So that didn't turn out. And then I was kind of like, what do I want to do? And I was, I was in between, I was, driving lift and working at a coffee shop and playing with the idea of opening up a coffee shop. And I decided at that point to go back to school. Um, but before that I got trained as a mediator. So I like a lot of things. I like to be doing a lot of different things. Um, and what I would say is the reason why I went to school was to be able to, well, went back to school, which I debated for a really long time. I'm not a huge fan of our academia system. I think a lot of it, is really, really problematic. I think it feeds into the systemic oppression that we exist within all the time in our days, right? I think it's, I think there's so many problems within it. And what I came to is that it 
would potentially offer me some opportunities to support folks in ways that I wanted to be involved in community that might be challenging for me to otherwise do. And the thing that really cinched the deal, which is not what I want to do full time, but a project I would like to do, um, is become a dance and movement therapist um, and specifically work with queer folks because I feel like there's a lot of ways in which queer community is disembodied by our culture. And I have an interest in supporting us in feeling embodied. Um, that's a side project, though. I've got a lot of projects, Charles. <laughs> right. Um, so at this point in time, I'm primarily functioning as a therapist. That's kind of where I am. And I'm trying to focus in because school really burnt me. I was overdone, overtaxed. I was working on the side, the Center for Dialogue and Resolution in Tacoma, which is also where I got certified as a mediator. And, and I just, and it was during the pandemic and I'm totally cooked. So I'm focusing in, I'm doing therapy um, with folks and I'm also kind of trying to come back to myself. Um, but ultimately my goal at this point in time, which feels pretty related to some of the things I've always been interested in is to be doing community support work. And I've thought about this many different ways, but one of them is kind of like running workshops and hosting classes and really kind of building community that wants to practice cultivating the kind of culture we want. So practicing tools and skills that help us with communication or support us in feeling empowered and embodied or support us in taking accountability and and deconstructing the ways in which our systems have trained us to hurt each other so we can reconstruct and build what we actually want to exist in, right? A lot of kind of community support oriented. Um, another way I've thought about framing that is I kind of want to do therapy in community, <laughs> right? It's like I want to do the healing work, but not just and the individual one-on-one, because while I think that's phenomenal, I think there's so much that is actually held by us in communities, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of the direction, the dream, which has always kind of been, I've always been very, it's the reason why when I was younger, I was like, I'd probably make a really good therapist, but I don't really want to be a therapist. And at that point in time, it's still, there was this orientation for me that, I wanted to be involved in kind of the group process, the community process of how do we heal and how do we cultivate and how do we create together? So I'm on the journey like everyone else and playing with what's here right now for me, which really is working as a therapist. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of mediation, not a lot, but a little bit and kind of working on having that set up more with folks in particular. I like doing transformative mediation, which is really more about healing in relationship. And I do that more in community than anything else at this point in time, although I'll probably try to put it more. It's not even on my website right now. Um, I'm also an officiant. So I, I've done some weddings. I've done my favorite weddings are ones that are really alternative because I'm not really into the Institute of Marriage, but I really love love. <laughs> so right, um, right. I do a bit of that, which also feels like it connects in with my interest in like holding community and in supporting each other. Right. Um, and, and then I also 
have have pieces like I'm working a little bit on getting set up as a coach specifically so I can work with queer community who's not in the state in which I'm licensed to practice as a therapist, right? And I have right. experience kind of supporting people in a way as a coach. And so I've thought about weaving that in um, because I like being able to be on the journey with people that, that in whatever journey they're on. Um, and yeah, kind of like playing with how do I feel into what's possible for me in this moment and what I have to offer and also what is being thought out about by the communities that I want to be supporting and involved in and creating with and connecting with. So, nice. yeah. And, and, and you say, you know, you, on, on your website, you talk about you work with individuals, couples, families. Yeah. And you, and you like your passion is about serving people who are part of the LGBTQI community plus community uh, that mm-hmm. may be navigating marginalization, polyamory, mm-hmm. gender identity, relationship struggles, life changes, and neurodiversity. Talk about that for a minute, neurodiversity. Yeah. Well, you know, it's been a thing that I feel like is coming up more and more in my life in particular around me. Um, I have a partner who's playing with understanding their relationship to autism I have a partner who's playing with what what makes sense for them and understanding their neurodivergence. I have a housemate who I live with who navigates life with ADHD. I'm just in a lot of community in which we're talking about and learning about and thinking about neurodiversity. And neurodiversity is really... It's always interesting about the way we define things. Right. So a lot of places define neurodiversity as as a, a way of understanding people who interact with the world around them in different ways, like thinking about what is typical and, and what is atypical. I don't really think that's the most useful way for us to think. I think that is just the system in which we exist trying to differentiate us and trying to put something together that doesn't actually really support us. Um, I think that what is coming out in the world in which neurodiversity is becoming uh, a hot topic, if you will, is, which is also necessary, is a recognition that there are many different ways that our brains work. And if we explore all of them and are open to the diversity that exists within our neuroscience, neuropathways, all of it, right, Um, there's a lot for us to learn and there's a lot that can support people in understanding themselves and how they relate to the world. And and (laughs) – if you want to go into it, when we when we talk about like a neurotypical person, which I think is a problematic way of defining it, right. often how it's defined, we're we might be talking about someone whose executive function is really really works, whatever that means, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. when we say really works, we're talking about the systems that we live in that we deem, uh, well, 
for lack of a better word, normal, right? Like, can you function in the work system that we have? Can you function in the school system that we have? And if you can, we generally will define you as neurotypical. And if you can't, right, there's problems that arise for you because of the way the system works. We end up defining people as neurodiverse, right, which I think is problematic in and of itself. But I also think what is happening is understanding neurodiversity is giving a lot of people tools to be like, oh, this is helping me understand how my brain works because nobody has ever given me me any information about who I am and, and how I function. They've always given me this information that does not make any sense to me. Yeah, that says you should be doing this this way, and if you're not, something's wrong right. with you. <laughs> Instead of right, exactly. You're on, right, again, and on a spectrum, yeah. Right, exactly. And so, yeah, so I, as as someone who, I would say I'm playing with my own understanding of neurodiversity in relationship to myself, also because it's a new thing that is being talked about more and some people have had more relationship to it longer and some people are like, oh, wait, is that me too? Um, so I'd say I'm playing with that. I don't currently identify as someone in the neurodiverse community and also I don't necessarily not because I'm not really sure at this point in time I'm learning um, but I would say that in my experiences with people who I'm close to in life I have a lot of relationship with understanding and learning about and being curious with people about what neurodiversity means for them or how it's helpful for them to understand themselves and I enjoy being in that explorative or supportive process with people. I think that there can be a lot offered for folks simply by being in that process with people who are not trying to tell them, well, this is the right way to be or the wrong way to be, or this is, you know, maybe you should just try this, which is often what happens for folks who are neurodivergent in particular going to therapists who don't really understand what it means to be neurodiverse. And they're just like, well, why can't you just make a list and check things off? And that's not how everyone's brain works and how it functions for everyone. Right. Um, Enjoy being able to support people in that journey and also feel like it is in many ways similar to some of the ways that um, oppression happens within queer community, which is that, So often there's people telling you what you should do or how it should look. And I really like being in a place of supporting people in being self-led in their journey, right? Of like, what what does this actually mean for you and how do you want to understand it, right? Whether or not someone's going to give you a diagnosis or not, or whether you want a diagnosis or not, what actually helps you in understanding yourself and feeling best supported in the world, right? Yeah. And it could change so many things. I've worked with... So many people over the years that would have certain things happen in their life and that would make them seem to be bipolar or seem to be this or seem to be that. But then within a short period of time and doing some work, those uh, those ways of being just m- disappeared because they worked through their struggle or they worked through their um, trauma. And I know when I was going through my training, one of the things I would go... Uh, 
my one of the people I worked with got used to it. You know, we'd see clients, and sometimes you before you were, and you know too, before you see clients alone, you see clients with somebody, and then and then at the end of the day or the end of the week, you have like a debriefing where you go through things. And then when I started seeing clients on my own, I'd still once a week go and kind of go over things I was working with. And it, it's funny because one person got used to it when I was first new. Every time I came in, I'd be like, and I think I might be. ADHD, this, that, you know, this person is OCD. I do that. You know, like, I do mm-hmm. I sometimes do. And, and uh, she was awesome. And she was always like, Charles, that's because we all are. We all have different parts of us that are maybe OCD or ADHD or bipolar, or a little bit more depressed or a little bit more ledomania. And then she said, but what we've done and and it's so funny, she, and she had grown up, you know, she, she had started her practice like in the 60s, so, but always kept herself up to date and the, what was changing. And she said, what basically has happened throughout time is we as the psychological professionals create a barometer. And we say, if you come up to this point of the line, then you're normal. <laughs> if, you, if you're one tick over this way, then your diagnosis is this, or your diagnosis is that, or your diagnosis is this. And and she was like, and even that's wrong, because all we're doing is assessing where somebody is in the moment, and someone in the moment may come off as many different things. What we need to find out is what at the core is creating this moment for you. Has there been a trauma? Has there been an abuse? Has there been a judgment of yourself or your way of being or your understanding of self that has caused you <laughs> to be acting out in a certain way and and she would and when even we're working with clients she would often say we can work past your diagnosis your diagnosis is how you're feeling right now when we work with the core reasons for your understanding of self and yourself in the community and the traumas you've been through and we do some healing none of this may apply and I, you know, when, and it was so fresh at the time. There were there were people even in our community that were very challenging to her and saying, "But that's not true. Someone who's diagnosed with this will always be this." Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes mm-hmm. they are reacting to traumas, abuses, judgments, fears that have complicated their life. Like you said, you were blessed in a very supportive way in your life. I feel like I had a lot of that as well. I hear from so many people that were never for one moment supported at being who they were. Makes a big mm-hmm. difference. A lot of things to unlearn there, a lot of things to unpack, a lot of things to heal. If you grew up with somebody telling you every time you tried to step forward and say, I'm not quite this, or I'd like to express this way, and you were put down, or, or even in some cases, severely punished. You know, one of the most horrific things I ever heard of it, it was from a client who struggled forever to have any close relationships. His mother had died in childbirth. He was raised by his father. They lived kind of on the outskirts of town. And again, talking about those gender roles, his dad was one of those, you don't cry, you don't do this. As a young child, mm-hmm. like he could fall down the steps and scrape his knee his father would literally in this, he showed me his hands and I never realized it, you know, because I, I thought, oh, he did a lot of work with his hands. For years, he would have his hand burned every time he cried so that he'd learn, if you're going to cry, now you got something to cry about. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And when you do that to yeah. a child, <laughs> that's going to affect that person for the rest of their life. 
until they can really that takes a lot of healing and a lot of a lot of uh, self discovery and self healing and, and self uh, bringing yourself back to worth and back to uh, celebrating who you are and uh, and I was I was just like oh my gosh I remember you know talking later about somebody with that you know that uh, someone that we had in common in his therapy work and saying I can't imagine how that would have changed my childhood if that's the way I grew up you know like if someone anytime mm-hmm. I was feeling some pain they decided to give me a little more so there's many you know and I think I think that honestly with what you've shared and what we know, we've been lucky. And then, but also that doesn't mean we haven't had our own struggles. It doesn't have, we had our own moments or times when we have been discriminated against as well, but at least we had that support. And then it sounds like you share with me that feeling of, I want to bring that support, that love, that nurturing for someone to become all over the art. And I want to bring that to those that don't have that, those mm-hmm. that haven't had that experience. Yeah. And I read that a lot yeah. in what you present on your website in our conversations we have that you're really about bringing that healing to the people who need it the most. Yeah, definitely. Definitely part of part of what my my hopes are and how both both how I show up in the world and what I want to be doing kind of kind of a mix of both both supporting folks and sharing with everyone in that process right of like what is what does healing look like for us individually and how do we support each other in that and also what does it look like when we're collectively and collaboratively being in space where healing feels possible, right? Yes. Well, I do want to point out to people that we have in the in the show's description. Uh, there's a link to All About Autumn, which has a beautiful bio. It Also, you talked about the dance and working with dance. Mm-hmm. And you have a video there that is sharing collaborative movement and poetry. Yeah. And I found that just fascinating. I was I viewed that, and I was like, "Wow, this is so." I can see we're having the dance, having that, uh, creating that as a, as a therapeutic tool. It would be amazing because there's no doubt that that's uh, that's an amazing way to to experience yourself. Um, and I thought that that was just beautiful what you shared there. You also have on the site, you know, about the different types of therapy you offer, the types of classes, uh, like you said, those celebrations of love. Um, is there anything else you'd like people to know about you? Or your mm, goodness, that's a great question. Well, I think really what I'd love to share kind of in in closing is just the invitation to reach out. I really enjoy connecting with folks, whether you're looking for therapy services or other services or just because something that we talked about or I talked about caught your attention or 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 you want to give me some feedback or whatever. Right? Like, right. I like connecting. Um, and, yeah, I uh, would, would enjoy connecting with anyone who feels inclined to reach out or, or reach for support. 
Awesome. And I would encourage everyone who's listening, if you, and no matter what platform you're listening on, you get the, the description we've also shared on Facebook, some other things. If you go to Autumn's website, you can see everything they offer, every, everything that uh, ways to contact, the resources that they're connected with um, and work with, like you've talked about, the Alternative to Violence Project, uh, Creating Culture of Peace, Education for Racial Equality, Holistic Resistance, which I like. It was like, that one really caught my eye. Um, yeah, they're a great Resource group. Generation, uh, Tacoma Urban Performing Arts Center. Um, mm-hmm. The Attaway Group, what is that a little bit? Yeah, the Attaway Group is uh, a practice organization that's developed by Desiree Attaway, who I actually took a course with um, called the Freedom School a couple of years ago. And she does a lot of work around uh, understanding and and deconstructing uh, our relationships to race and racism. Um, she does a lot of work with individuals and also in organizations around how do we how do we address racism? How do we start with ourselves and look at the ways that we um, perpetuate racism by existing in a society that that is functioning in racism and functioning out of white supremacy ideology um, and, yeah, supports individuals and organizations in that process and in that growth. Nice. Yeah, I thought that it's going to be so, you know, I, I think it's going to be such a blessing to watch all of your mission unfold. It's, there's so many pieces that you're bringing together and creating a new way of, of community and a new way of understanding each other and a new way of, of supporting each other, even in a therapeutic environment. And so I encourage everybody that's out there, reach out the contacts there. I, you know, uh, Autumn, as I am, is used to sometimes a, a hater here and there. We had one last time when we did our show a couple Wednesdays ago. I had someone I had to kick out. I had to figure out how. It's been so long since I had to kick somebody out of the chat room. <laughs> um, first, I thought they were asking just some really in-depth questions, and I thought, oh, no, they're making, you know, they were making really bad statements about yourself and Adam and me, and I was like, oh, well, this person can go somewhere else. And I never understand people who do that. If you don't if you don't want to hear about what we're offering or it doesn't fit for you or it isn't, you're not ready for that next level of, of knowing and awareness, there's many other things you can be doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why, why spend your time on social media or other things being hateful? To me, that seems like that speaks volumes for what's happening in your life when you're going to spend your life being hateful to other people. Rather, than, go do what you do. Go, go find some happiness. Mm-hmm. Go listen to a nice... Uh, some nice music, watch a good show, read a book. (laughs) (laughs) Attacking others or spreading hate is, is not a, it doesn't even serve your own mind, body, and soul very well. So, um, Mm -hmm. and I think we have a, a, a overall a really great audience, but I would encourage people as you reach out to, if you, if you have some questions, if you have some things you don't understand and you'd like to reach out to Autumn or myself, Please do so. Just do it in a respectful manner to learn and grow uh, and understand each other. There's no space for hate or um, 
attacking type of things. And I'd like yeah. to say at least knock on something or praise the universe or the land around us that that hasn't happened. But I always realize we're in a worldwide community, and occasionally you're going to get people that are, you know, um, and as as Adam puts it so so well, those that are ignorant sometimes act like they're ignorant. <laughs> you know, instead of out of respect or love, I can I can need to learn. I can need to understand, but I can do that in a way that is celebra- celebrating who you are and where I am and, and where those understandings meet. Autumn, um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Uh, as you talked about, you know, there's things that we do in our lives and we do We try to present who we are and we do it. it but even reaching out in a worldwide audience, like in a way like this, is a step of bravery in a sense, is a step of, of, but it's also a step in being authentic. And at the same moment, not saying that everybody out there has to be just like Charles <clears throat> or just like Autumn. What we want you to be is just like you. What we're celebrating by being all our, our authentic selves, we're allowing the space for you to do the same. Join us in that place, my friends, and the whole world can be so different, and we have it within us to do it. We have it within us to do it, and Autumn, you're sharing. I know it's touched some people out there. I know there's many people who are listening that are in that place of self-discovery and self-exploration, and and I thank you for sharing your story, not just with us here, but in all the ways you do in your works, in sharing your story, and bringing your healing to all those who need it. Thank you so much for being you, Autumn. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Charles. It's a pleasure to be on here with you and get to share with everyone who's listening. And we will look forward to having you back. And friends, it's easy. It's autumncstar.com. And again, the link is right there, right there in the show's description. You don't even have to Google it. It's right there. Thank you so much, Autumn. We will know we're going to have you back on future shows as well as part of panels and part of being. And I look forward to collaborating with you in some beautiful ways in the future as well. So thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you. All right. Good night. My friends, we're just going to let the music play us out tonight. We'll have a a guided meditation for you on this Friday show. I am going to, I've been still going through a little bit of the stuff uh, with the sinuses, et cetera, but I plan on uh, just fighting through it and being here with you because I love being with you as much as you love being with me. We have a real love relationship here. I'd like to thank Autumn again and encourage you, my friends, to seek out autumn and the many different ways that autumn brings healing and awareness and growth into your life it's just their website is beautiful they're an awesome human being who has taken their growth and their understanding and their awareness from a very young age in all those different ways isn't that amazing all the different ways that autumn sought education and awareness and learning of themselves and their community it's beautiful and i know that tonight there are people out there that needed to hear this story and and needed to meet autumn so take that next step and reach out to autumn and say hello 
and look at the many different ways that autumn offers healing and growth and allow yourself the experience of some of that beautiful healing. And we're going to let the music play us out tonight. So get in that relaxed, beautiful place. And thank you for those, even during the show, I received a few messages from people that didn't realize haven't really been saying on social media, I've been sick, and they're like, hope you feel better. I'm feeling better. I feel better having talked to Autumn tonight. That's, the, that's how powerful Autumn is. Autumn has me already feeling better. My friends, I love you. Have a beautiful night. Have a beautiful week. We'll be with you on Friday night with a special Friday night spiritual night. And on the 16th, we're going to do that special call in. This is your live show. We'll be putting some information about that. Any of you who are friends and family, listeners, that want to join in and be part of that show on the 16th, you're going to be welcome to be a part of that. So please join in. I'm going to play some of Elizabeth, didn't mention Elizabeth, Elizabeth DeFreyas and her beautiful original music that we play on the show, guided meditations and just beautiful music to relax to. It's available at heartsoundsbyelizabeth.com. And you can go there, listen to the music. She's also on Spotify and some of the listening, uh, streaming, uh, streaming, sources out there so just put in her name you can copy and paste it you'll find all the places you can listen tonight on our way out we're going to listen to a song that i think fits a lot of our theme for tonight we're going to listen to a song called gather unto unity a beautiful arrangement and my friends i love you love yourself love your life love every moment because that's what we're here to do good night my friends